Thanks for downloading the 32nd in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we're recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and the Rome Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points and challenges that startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith and my co-host for this episode is Taito's senior partner, Holly Justice. And today we are thrilled to be joined online from San Francisco by Joshua Motta, co-founder and CEO of Leading Provider of Cyber Insurance and Security Coalition. Founded in 2017, the company reached unicorn status in March 2021 and now has a valuation of $5 billion. Welcome to the show, Joshua. Can we start by you giving us a bit of background to your company, but also the area of business that you are seeking to disrupt? Of course. Yeah. And let me start by saying it's great to be here. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, as for Coalition, you captured it. We were, we were one of the largest providers of cyber insurance globally, given our scale. Of course, we're not just any ordinary insurance provider. We've really pioneered something new that we call active insurance. And so not only do we pay a claim, um, should one happen after a, a, uh, after you know some sort of disruption in a business, we're actively protecting our customers. Um, we're really partnering with them to improve their cybersecurity, to mitigate the risks that they face um, before the event happens. And then should something happen, you know, it's not just uh, paying out a claim. We are on the ground helping them recover. We're performing the instant response work. We're performing the forensic work. For all intents and purposes, we are the emergency services, the police and the fire department all rolled into one. As you can imagine, you know, calling uh, calling the police or the fire department aren't terribly helpful when there's a fire inside your network. So um, that's really where we've gained prominence. Um, it's in that field. It's helping businesses of all sizes manage cyber risk and importantly, providing that insurance to them um, should something come to pass. And Joshua, can you tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey? So how did working at Microsoft as a teenager and then the CIA prepare you for a career in cyber insurance? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, insurance is a very dangerous field and known for uh, being very, you know, technologically adept. Now, I, I'm, of course, I jest, but um, yeah, look, in, in many respects, um, it was the perfect preparation. Sometimes I describe coalition is what would happen if you combined a financial service, of course, in this case, insurance, with a technology company and an intelligence community mindset when it comes to data collection and analysis. And interestingly enough, that that really is my background, right? Microsoft, uh, later Cloudflare, uh, now a large publicly traded company in the technology sector, time at Goldman Sachs and the financial services, and of course, at CIA and the intelligence world, and really bringing all of these disciplines together to tackle a problem in a novel way, right? For most businesses, when they think of you know cybersecurity, it's it's really a technology problem you know, go out and buy antivirus or do X, Y, or Z. Uh, and, and all of a sudden the problem is solved. You're secure. I think the epiphany uh, for, for me and certainly for coalition is that actually this is really a risk management problem. No amount of technology can make this go away, right? Technology can certainly be good at mitigating risk, like, you know, reducing it, but it can never eliminate it. And so as a as an organization or even as an individual, when it comes to taking risks, you kind of have three options. You can accept the risk, you can mitigate it, or you can transfer it. And so that's kind of a fancy way of saying, well, you know, technology can mitigate the risk, it doesn't eliminate it. The only way to eliminate a risk is to eliminate the cost of it, which you can get by transferring it to a third party, like an insurance company. 
And of course, the math is very simple. Whatever you haven't transferred or mitigated, you have accepted. And of course, many businesses today have accepted quite a bit of cyber risk without knowing it, either because they haven't invested in the right mitigation or they don't have insurance. And so, you know, as I mentioned, a long way from uh, from CIA or, or Microsoft, but I think these are sort of formative experiences that have really allowed uh, me and the company to really approach this uh, this really societal problem in a, in a novel way. Just, just talking about those risks there, is, is part of the issue as well that as businesses grow, there's obviously increased risk, but also every day there's new cyber risks appearing. It's, it's like, it's never ending, is it? Yeah. I mean, you know, the way I think about it is, um, you know, if, if you have a comp- if you use a computer or an internet connection in your business, you have cyber risk. And so it's, it's difficult today to think of a single for-profit enterprise, much less not-for-profit or even place of worship that isn't reliant on a functioning computer or internet connection. And, and, and of course, yeah, there are all sorts of uh, risks to these businesses. There's of course a flourishing criminal marketplace, if you will, of, of defrauding businesses. And so that's really what we are poised to help businesses address. And yeah, you don't have to be a tech company. You could be a not-for-profit. You could be a church. All organizations are facing very similar cyber risks. Sure. Well, let's talk about Coalition a little bit then. I mentioned in my intro, your valuation is now at $5 billion. That's come off the back of your latest funding round, which was last July. So if I've got all these numbers right, you raised a further $250 million in your Series F round. That followed a combined $380 million raise in 2021. What we're keen to understand really is with all that cash coming into the business, where's that going to be invested? And, and also kind of like, what's the focus, let's say for the next 12 months now? Yes. No, it, it is hard to keep track of all of the numbers. I think. <laughs> yes, you said three, yeah, $380 million in 2021, just over three quarters of a billion dollars since the company was founded. And Really, it's been invested to to grow. Um, of course, we've we've gone from no customers and and no revenue, uh, as all you know startups uh, humbly do at the beginning. To you know today over uh, over a billion dollar run rate, you know over a hundred thousand customers, et cetera. And of course, we maintain a very large balance sheet because you know we are taking and sharing in some of the risk that we take. So all of these things are are very important to be able to support our growth. Which you know, from our perspective, is is somewhat limitless. You know, by by my way of thinking that I just mentioned, every organization should purchase cyber insurance. And you know, if we take just the markets that we're currently present in, the United States, uh, Canada, and the United Kingdom, you know, there are tens of millions of businesses, and yet you know, we only have a hundred thousand customers. So there's there's a lot of growth to be had. Of course, we see an international opportunity. So we've we've been investing significantly. Against that, we hope to launch in Australia here in the not too uh, distant future. And of course, you know, the, the, there's plenty of uh, plans to to move across the pond as well into into continental Europe. So, very large opportunity. A lot of the capital is just invest, 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 which ultimately comes down to just hiring a great team of people. And of those customers, do, do you have a breakdown in terms of the size of, of business that that you work with? I'm guessing from yeah. you know from from the way you're describing it, you know, no business is too small to to have um, you know cyber insurance. But no but business is, is too small. Yeah, yeah but I think, in uh, terms of who you're working with, is is there a, yeah. a a typical kind of customer to you guys? Yeah, I mean, so our we focus on businesses that are you know startups, um, you know, mom and pop businesses, even sole proprietors, you know, all the way up to publicly listed multi billion dollar corporations. So we have customers uh, that include professional sports teams that many people would recognize, 
you know, all the way down to, I think we have over 300 bouncy castle operators, believe it or not. So, and everything in between. So it's every industry class, it's, it's hospitals, it's law firms, it's restaurants, it's places of worship, as I mentioned, temples, synagogues, churches, not-for-profits. You know, we have the Metropolitan Museum of Art is one of our customers. So there's just quite a few folks that we're working with across the, the spectrum. In terms of just the concentration, as you might expect, it it mirrors sort of the distribution of businesses and the economy. So the vast majority of our customers, you know, by number are, of course, small businesses because they're just simply many smaller businesses than there are larger ones. So I think something like uh, about 85% of our customers have less than 25 million in revenue, 75% have less than 10 million in revenue, and about 35% have less than a million US dollars in, in revenue. So it really is the entire gamut. And you mentioned a minute or two ago, Joshua, about the importance of hiring a great team. So it would be interesting just yes. to come on to the topic of leadership for a minute. Um, I imagine leading a successful $5 billion um, valued company requires exceptional skills and an exceptional team, as you've already mentioned. So what would you say are your greatest strengths of being a leader? And and what are the main strengths that you've got of the, the coalition management team around you? Yeah. You know, of course the team, the people who are our single greatest asset as a company is of course our, our people. And of course the data, the technology we build, et cetera, which is like all businesses, we're becoming truly a, a digital business. The most significant assets we have are really intangible um, ones. And so, you know, when it comes to people, I try to have sort of simple philosophies like around hiring and one is, you know, look, stars attract stars, like people, talented people, motivated people, ambitious people, people of high integrity. Think of all the qualities of the folks that you would want to hire. They want to work with other people who who share the those same strengths, right? Talented people want to work with other very talented people. And so the simple thing for me is like, well, let's get some, um, and then we can build on top of that. And so that's uh, you know that whole stars attract stars kind of philosophy has been really core to how we've built the team. And for the most part, the people who do come work here come here because they want to work with the other people they know are already on the company, are already at the company. Excuse me. But of course, attracting you know top performers is one thing, but getting them to work together collaboratively in harmony is another. And and that's kind of really where the second philosophy has come in in terms of leadership and company building. And and that's really to be tribal. You know, I've always thought of startups as as tribes, at least the successful ones, anyway. And, you know, who are really only oriented to hire people that want to be part of, of our tribe. And so I think various other companies and successful leaders have described this in different ways, whether it's hiring for mission orientation, or maybe famously at Amazon, it was angels versus mercenaries, but sort of whatever you call it, it's, it's really been the philosophy behind our hiring process, how we structure offers, how we think about building a team. One of the things that we like to focus on in these discussions in, in this Unicorn Leader series is communication and culture. So I guess one of the first questions we wanted to ask is, how has becoming a unicorn company changed the perception of coalition? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. I mean, undoubtedly it it has. You know, I think f- certainly from a, a candidate perspective, there's a there's a perception that there's less risk. Of course, in working, you know, we're in a startup or we started as a startup, I suppose I should say, and there's always risk in one's career and, and livelihood in doing so, because, you know, just statistically, there's very few that survive, much less that go on to be worth, you know, become unicorns, if you will. 
And so once you've uh, hit that status, I think you sort of have that escape velocity that many people are are looking for when they consider investing their most valuable asset, which is of course their time and working with you. Of course, there's the prestige that comes along with it and, and really the environment to learn because it, it tends to be that the companies that achieve unicorn status have, have typically done a lot of things really, really, really well. And so they tend to be great, you know, great areas or great places to just learn, um, learn sort of best practices, how to do things. And there's a lot of entrepreneurial people who get their start in startups. And then of course, go on to start many other businesses, um, you know, PayPal and the PayPal mafia, of course, a famous example of that. And so, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's certainly made hiring easier. Of course, it comes with the cachet with customers and st- other stakeholders and partners, but there can also be negative, uh, I think, consequences of it. And and that's that, you know, I've always believed that in the David versus Goliath story, it's always good to be David. You know, you always want to be an underdog. And, you know, certainly the the unicorn moniker makes it more difficult, but certainly as a company, like culturally and, and how we operate, you know, we do believe we're underdogs. And despite the fact that, you know, we're a successful unicorn business, there are many multinational insurance companies that are considerably larger than we are. And, you know, we still believe we are very much the David fighting against the the Goliath, you know, trying to create a better outcome for our, our customers and in society. So, you know, being a unicorn can occasionally get, get to your head if you, uh, if you take it too seriously, but, you know, for us, it's, um, look, it's, uh, we're unapologetically, you know, happy that we're successful, but at the end of the day, you know, as one of my business uh, heroes, Walt Disney said, you know, we're, we're not making, we're not looking to make movies to make money. We're looking to make money to make great movies. So the more successful we are, the more we can invest um, really behind our mission, which is to protect the unprotected and, and help these organizations embrace this digital future. And one of the, I mean, just building on that, one of the, I guess, challenges that a lot of companies like yours has is in, you know, it's quite difficult to stand out. You, you mentioned how many others are in are in your space. I mean, what's been right. at the heart of your, you know, strategy in terms of differentiating yourself? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's all about solving a problem and doing it better and more efficiently and with less friction than anyone else. And and so I think the problem we identified is that every business is becoming a digital business, whether they want it or not. Um, you know, we're all being drug kicking and screaming into the, you know, into the future. And so it's like, how do we offer just a better and a, and a novel solution that solves this issue? And especially for a topic as complicated as as cyber risk, right? Like most businesses I would imagine are, are thinking more about the economy and how to make payroll next week than they are about, you know, how to protect their networks and all their digital assets. Many may not even realize how dependent they are on all the computer systems and, and information technology working around them. So if we can just make that remarkably easy, if we can make it affordable and truly deliver value, then we'll grow. That's that's been the simple strategy. It's that sort of customer obsession. And then behind it, as I mentioned, it's getting the right people together that can help us solve this problem and you know help build something new. And you mentioned a little bit earlier on, Joshua, about the philosophies inside Coalition. I'd love to hear how you would describe the culture at the company and particularly some of the things that you've done to kind of nurture that culture and build it. You know, it's it's funny. I, this is not my first startup, and so I've been in others. And you know, occasionally you, of course, learn the wonderful things to do, and in other cases, you learn what to never do again. And you know, certainly, I, I've realized the importance of culture and being deliberate about what you want to build from the start, because otherwise, it just takes a path of its own and it becomes very difficult uh, to control. And so, the first document ever written in coalition history was actually our our culture document. 
where, you know, it wasn't so much espousing like, what is the philosophy of, of coalition as a company? It was more defining what are the values that we want people on the team to hold? Things like humility, things like purpose, uh, authenticity. And so there was sort of a, a list of things that were very important. And, and, and we described in detail why we thought they were important and why we wanted to build the team around them. So just being deliberate about what the culture is, is incredibly important. Um, of course, at the end of the day, culture is not what you write down. It is what you practice. And so what's had to accompany that is our different rituals and things within the company where we continuously, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess like reassert that culture or recognize those cultural attributes. Um, so for example, we had we had one that was around sort of sweeping the floors that you know no one was was too big to do the job to be done and so every single week since since the company was founded all the way to today with you know hundreds and hundreds of employees every week we have a golden dustpan with a coalition embossed logo which it was not gold when it started off it was a simple rubber made dustpan that uh, the individual who receives it gets to recognize someone who's who's held one of our cultural values so those are all really built in and then, you know, in, in terms of culture, you know, as I mentioned, it's it's really this: how do we create this tribal culture? You know, I've I've always believed that as as humans, we have this strong instinct to belong to small groups, which are defined by a clear purpose and a sense of understanding. And you know, tribe members would live in close quarters; they'd support one another, they'd hold each other accountable. Status was respected, you know, based on the value that people brought, as opposed to a title or uh, you know the, a name of someone. And and tribalism can breed really intense loyalty you know, a sense of shared purpose and, and really an egalitarian ethos. And, and, you know, simply put, when people belong to a tribe, their lives have more meaning. And when that tribe is a startup, like they will really move mountains for the company. And I think whether it's, it's us or any other unicorn, you know, you just simply can't accomplish as much as, as, as we have in five years, if we weren't a really high functioning tribe. Um, but of course, tribalism should not be confused with politics. You know, politics has had really no room at coalition, but I think tribalism has run rampant as a result of kind of that culture that we built. I love the idea of uh, trying to get the golden dustpan. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and you've already talked about the fact that any company or organization could be a coalition customer. So thinking about communicating like the complex areas around cyber insurance to all those different types of businesses, it, it must be quite a tricky thing to, to try and do. How do you go about kind of approaching kind of educating people from huge organizations to the media, to those small mom and pop businesses, as you say, about cyber insurance and, and what coalition does? Yeah. I mean, it's by far, it's the single greatest challenge we have mm -hmm. is sort of that, that educational challenge, right? Um, helping organizations understand what cyber risk is, um, that they have it, how to address it, how to manage it. You know, it's, it's a complex topic, right? Um, you know, as I mentioned, most, most business owners are not going to be experts in information technology, much less cybersecurity or whatnot. And, and of course we have, you know, decades of people thinking of it as a, as a technology problem, which itself is difficult because many businesses and organizations believe that if I just do these things, whether it's you know, antivirus or whatnot, then I'm secure. You know, security is, I think in many respects, it's an illusion. You know, it's almost theater to some degree. And so overcoming the belief that there that you can be secure just by doing these things is is a is a real challenge. 
risk isn't this linear line that goes to zero and you've, you have no risk whatsoever. Like nothing bad can happen. It looks a lot more like a diminishing returns curve where certainly doing all the things that are conventional wisdom today, like using antivirus or, you know, using multi-factor authentication and strong passwords and password managers and all this, those are all things that help you climb down the curve but you could have an infinite security budget and have all the people in the world trying to protect your network and things can still fail. You know, then that's where it goes back to re-educating people that this is this risk management process. And if that's not hard enough, now we have to tell them about insurance, which has made many people's uh, eyes glaze over, I'm sure over time and help them understand what it covers and that it will cover things because at some level they're purchasing a promise that in the future, that they'll get value out of this policy should something happen. So that's that's something that we've had to overcome and we've had to really embed education into every facet of our of our business. So anytime someone gets a quote from us, it comes with a, a, a free cyber risk assessment for that organization. Where in you know plain English, um, in dollars and cents, we can use all of our claims data and we can help them understand what the risk is to their organization what the likelihood is that an organization that looks like them will experience a loss and how much it would cost them. And oftentimes that's eye-opening, right? I mean, you know, for a, for a small business, an unforeseen $100,000 cost can be the difference between making payroll or not. But even with the large organizations where, you know, you have highly sophisticated views and, and capabilities, there's also a challenge because oftentimes cybersecurity is owned by someone in the technology organization. Whereas insurance is owned by the finance team, and you know very often those do not those worlds do not uh, collide, and so you know really helping uh, CISOs and technical folks understand how insurance can play a role in their information security strategies is is something that you know we also spend a lot of time. Um, so education, education, communication is paramount. We do a lot of that. And just switching from external comms to to internal, how much of of your role is is involved in the internal communications, and and also as a, as a business, is there anything that's worked really well for you guys? Yeah, you know, it's I almost consider it my primary role, right? I mean, at, at this point, I'm just one person and an increasingly irrelevant one in terms of actually getting things done. But so I see my my main job is really communicating and. You know, making sure people understand what our mission is, what our purpose is, what the problems are. A lot of companies don't want to talk about their problems. Um, it's uncomfortable. And so I very much see my job as to do almost exclusively that. And, you know, sure, we have to pat ourselves on the back every so often. We've we've made great accomplishments as a team, but you know, we have to stay focused on, you know, asking the question, how can we do this better? And that is the question I ask more than any other um, from a day-to-day basis. It's what I encourage everyone to do. In terms of what's worked, there's a couple things. You know, I see sort of communication as like a continuous uh, activity that happens over time that, that that can be built upon. And so to this day, I do an orientation for every single person that walks through the doors of coalition. Um, so I have an opportunity to really set the tone, you know, what the what why we found the company like why we're all spending our lives and our time doing this and why it's important and why we believe it's important, the culture, like why we made the decisions that we made and what we value. Like it, it's really an opportunity to kind of level set with, with everyone. And, and I've done it like all the way up to this day and we'll continue doing it for, for so long as I am physically capable. So that's been one. I think the other, and, and we have, you know, a greater ability to do this as a private company 
it's been being radically transparent um, with our employees and trusting them. Right. It it used to be that the way a company was built was very hierarchical. The the folks at the bottom of the hierarchy were you didn't want them to think because if you have a thirty thousand person organization and everyone is off doing their own thing, you know that's chaotic. But I think you know the internet twenty four seven news cycles competitive forces, they've changed this. Companies have to be much more agile than they were before and and they have to be flat. And so our strategy has been to build a very flat organizational structure where information gets pushed to the absolute edge um, so that people can make decisions. And one of the first things I tell people during those orientation sessions is that you are being paid to think. Um, you know, We want you to think, we want you to ask the question again, how can you do that? How can we do this better? And we empower them with the data, the visibility um, you know, all the way down to financial data or otherwise that can help them measure that. We've also had a tradition of after every board meeting, walking the entire company through the board deck, unredacted uh, with the exception of something that was in a closed session to where they can see the business exactly as we're presenting it with the board. They have the opportunity to understand sort of what, how our board is thinking about the business, the questions they're asking, the concerns they have so that we can hit them head on. Because at the end of the day, if people don't know what needs to be solved, they they won't solve it. So internal comms, I think, has been incredibly important. And for both external and internal, you know, I've always loved that expression of tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them again. And I think that's been uh, that's been attributed to everyone from Aristotle to Dale Carnegie, but whomever said it, I'm uh, I'm very much a fan of. And just on that orientation, then, how, so how many how many people are you at now in the team? Uh, I think we're around 700. Right. Okay. Yeah. And in how many offices and do you have remote workers as well? Yes. Yeah. The company has been sort of remote first from the beginning, Right. Um, which doesn't mean that everyone is remote. It just means that the working experience at Coalition has to be amazing if you're working from home because that's sort of the lowest common denominator. And so we have offices in San Francisco, Denver, Provo, Utah, London, New York, but we have folks in, I think, every single state in the US, in every single province and territory in Canada, in uh, six or seven other countries at this point in time, ranging from Japan to Switzerland. So it's definitely a, a global a global workforce at this point, kind of yeah. working from all corners of the planet. No, I was just intrigued to understand how those that orientation works then in terms of how regular, I mean, how many people are you bring in on sort of like each month and how often do you do these, these sessions with everyone? And I guess you're what you're doing them remotely, I, I assume then. Yeah, no, they're absolutely done remotely. So, you know, Zoom, uh, and other, these other platforms have been a godsend to us as I'm sure they have been to so many others over the past few years. And so, um, you know, we've been able to, to use those virtual forums to host these on typically it's every two weeks, um, to, to every month, just depending on scheduling. And I'm just one. So we have a full blown orientation session that goes through a lot of the leaders in the company where, you know, we actually expect them to invest the time and, and actually help train, um, the folks coming in. So it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or the, you know, the, the chief revenue officer or whatnot, like, you know, people are very much involved in, in education at the company. And you talked about the fact that communications is kind of one of the key parts of your role um, at the moment. Right. Would you consider yourself as a, a natural communicator? Is it something you've had to work on over time? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know that I would have considered myself necessarily a natural communicator. There's probably been a lot of work that's gone into it. And, you know, we all have our styles. I think, you know, certainly my preferred form of communication is is written, uh, although I've, I've, you know, certainly as I've become the public face of the company, both internally and externally. It's required to, you know, myself to overcome mm. a lot of, uh, 
public speaking, whatever, even fears or unease or whatnot. And, and, uh, you know, having done it now for four or five years, I, I think I'm finally getting the hang of it to some degree, but definitely I wouldn't say it was a natural, uh, a natural thing. And, but you know, it can be developed. Like that's certainly, I think the lesson I've learned and, uh, it's a big part of two of what we train uh, our employees on. And what would you say has been the biggest communications challenge that you faced in, in your kind of career and journey and how did you overcome it? Yeah, it's it's like at some level, I feel like almost all problems in humanity are communications problems. Um, so it's almost like where to start. But you know, as I, I I could go back and mention, you know, just that that education piece uh, in terms of how to address cyber risk and what it is. Like, it's still a really a challenge for us. I mean, if I just looked at how many businesses purchase cyber insurance today, um, you know, I would say even in, in just the developed markets we're in maybe it's 30% or 40%. And even of those who do purchase it, they probably don't purchase enough. And just the the educational gap there is massive, particularly when we believe that everyone should have this given the risks that they face. It's, you know, at some level, cyber risk is one of the greatest risks facing our society and the greatest risk facing a business because they're they're accepting it all and they don't realize it. You know, in that equation, so that's a big one. But even in just the day-to-day, you know, we have we have quite a few communications challenges. Like as you might imagine, our interactions with our customers tend to be after something very bad has happened to them um, that they oftentimes, you know, are are not entirely prepared for, certainly more prepared than someone who did not have a policy with us. And, and, you know, it can be a tense time. And so that's a real opportunity for us to create a lasting connection with our policyholder where we can really hold their hand through, you know, something that could be a company ending event. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that to my knowledge, there's not a single organization that has gone out of business that has experienced a claim with us. And, you know, in many cases, we were able to help them um, recover very, very quickly, given the capabilities that we bring to bear. But with that said, there are a lot of people at Coalition have to be phenomenal communicators because those can be very stressful moments um, to, to have interactions with your customers. I can imagine. Joshua, we're, we're recording this interview at the start of 2023. It's a time when there's plenty of uncertainty at the moment in the in the economy before we finish i I thought it'd be good just to get your assessment of last year of 2022 but also what your outlook is for the year ahead look uh, of course you know as we enter into 2023 i I think we see and feel the economic uncertainty that that many organizations large and small see you know I i think at this point cyber insurance more or less is a compulsory purchase. Like many companies just have to buy it given how big the risk is. But of course, the smaller the organization gets, that it, the more tempting it is to, to obviously make uh, compromises. And so I think that's uh, that's something that's weighing on us is how do we continue to make the product more and more accessible to people? Uh, and I think one of the greatest risks to the, to the industry is just that the product just becomes too expensive to purchase. Um, that's why a big part of our investment is actually in improving the defenses of our customers. That way, you know, we can make insurance a much, uh, a much more affordable purchase. But with that said, while there's uncertainty in the economy, you know, it, it means more opportunities for cyber criminals to take advantages of businesses. You know, we saw that during the pandemic, like these certain changes that happen, you know, are just fodder for criminals to use and drive as, as wedges, you know, as, as businesses are changing their operations or doing things like criminals are very smart and we'll, we'll piggyback on them. You know, I also think that cybersecurity, cyber risks are only going to continue to grow, you know, by many accounts. Uh, if you think about from the criminal's perspective, cybercrime is actually more lucrative than even international drug trafficking. 
um, it is a higher return on investment for the resources that you put into it. And so it's unsurprising that cybercrime is exploding. Um, and particularly with things like ransomware, where the breach of a company can now turn into a, a million dollar payout or tens of million dollar payout, um, you know, we're only going to see the problem uh, worsen. So, you know, these are, uh, we, we continue to see the, the growth of that. Of course, businesses, we expect businesses in 2023 to continue to adopt technology, of course, because they have to, they need to stay competitive. They want to be more productive, especially in an, in an uncertain economy. These are also things that can potentially increase risk, but um, certainly the outlook for our business, um, you know, we I sort of view coalition as what well, I guess how one of my investors would describe as a, a pro-entropic business, um, meaning that we just sort of thrive in chaos. You know, it can be chaos in a positive way, it can be chaos in a negative way. It's just the more volatility there is, the more uncertainty there is at some level, like that's something that we can benefit off of, with of course a very much a caveat of if we if we get it right because as an insurance company we're in the unique uh, position where at the time we sell our product we don't actually know what our cost of goods is we don't know what it will cost us we only learn that in the future when claims come in and so you know of course i tell people the only crystal ball i've ever opened or uh, uh, owned arrived broken so uh you know we do our best to try and think about what the future looks like and anticipate that so um, i think overall outlook for us is is very positive uh, including through a difficult economic environment. And we're as focused as ever is, is in helping our customers navigate that, whether it's removing the operational burden, reducing unforeseen costs, which certainly they don't need uh, during this time period. That's great. We've got one final question for you. We've asked all yeah. our um, unicorn leaders this who who have uh, appeared on, on, the, uh, on the series. And obviously a key part of what we've been talking about is, is communication. So if you could go back in time, and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give to yourself about communications? Oh, I, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think in, in my case, it's, it's, it would be put yourself in the, the person's shoes that you're will, willing or that you're wanting to communicate to. Uh, you know, it's very tempting, particularly when you're a subject matter expert in an area like insurance or cybersecurity to just go out with all the, you know, the nerd speak, um, so, to, so, to, so to speak. You know, it's like, how do you just you got to cut that out. You have to simplify your message. You have to understand who you're communicating to put themselves in their shoes and, um, you know, and, and really find a, a way to make a topic accessible to them. You know, that's something that I've not always done well, uh, over the course of my career. So I suppose if I could go back in time, it would be to, you know, shake myself and tell myself to put myself in the shoes of, of the other person that I was communicating to. Great answer. Joshua Mata, thank you so much for joining us. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, lovely to be here. Thank you so much. Holly, thoughts on um, what Joshua had to say today? It was a fascinating chat, wasn't it? I think um, the the thing that really struck me is Coalition as a business have got such an interesting communications opportunity and challenge on their hands in terms of like trying to communicate cyber insurance, which is, as Joshua said, dry, complex often not on the top of someone's radar to such a plethora of different audiences. And I thought it was just great to hear how they've approached that as a company and clearly have been very successful with it, haven't they? 
Yeah, thanks, Holly. Well, obviously a great way to kick off 2023, but that is actually it for this latest episode in our special series with Taito. If you want to find out more about Coalition, uh, then their website is coalitioninc.com. We'd love to hear your comments on today's chat. Uh, you can do that by sharing them on the uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter feeds, or you can do it in the comments of the YouTube version of this podcast. Those are all linked from the top of our website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all the previous shows and supporting show notes plus links to where you can follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of spotify and apple and if you've liked what you've heard uh, please do give us a positive rating and review we're of course available on all podcast apps just search for the c-suite podcast and hit follow or subscribe and don't forget you can also subscribe to the without borders podcast from our partners at taito all the details for that are on their website so just head to taitopr.com and click on the podcast link in the top nav bar you can also uh, download a copy of growing without borders Orders, the Unicorn CEO Guide to Communications and Culture from the Taito website. That is an overview of the first 15 of our Unicorn interviews. If you are a Unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of the series, please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at csuitepodcast.com. Plus, of course, anyone can get in touch with any feedback you may have. And finally, uh, you can also reach me uh, via Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith, or you can find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>